The Ghostbreaker, a novel based upon the play by Charles Goddard and Paul Dickey. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Cast as you meet them. Narrator, read by Lynette Geisel. Colonel Jarvis, read by Marty Chris. Andy, read by Jenny Lundak. Warren, Ghost Breaker and Kentuckian Hero, read by Bill Mosley. Doctor, recorded by Chuck Williamson. Rusty Snow, read by Phil Chenevere. Major Selby, read by Nathaniel W. C. Higgins. Hotel Page, read by Marty Chris. Colonel Jim Markham, wealthy and prominent Kentucky sportsman, read by Jerry James. Brazilian Coffee Merchant, read by Amy Graymore. Maria Teresa, Princess of Aragon, read by Amanda Friday. Detective One, read by David Olson. Detective Two, Read by Todd. Nita, chic young Spanish servant to Maria Teresa. Read by Abigail Bartels. Ship's Porter. Read by Lucy Perry. Ship Steward. Recorded by Chuck Williamson. Carlos, Duke of Alva. Cousin of Maria Teresa. Read by Marty Chris. Ship's Officer. Read by Barry Eads. Ship's Captain, read by Kevin Sawney. Scotland Yard Detective, read by Barry Eads. Senorita Dolores, daughter to Senor Vardos, by Heather Hamptel. Vardos, Peasant and Prince's Retainer, read by Todd. Senor Pedro, Tavern Keeper, read by Todd. Don Robledo, read by Nathaniel W. C. Higgins. The Human Battleship, read by Liberty Stump. End of cast. Chapter 1. Jarvis of Kentucky. Down the winding roadway came the thunder of hoofbeats. As the two horsemen approached through the deepening twilight, a sobbing negro woman peered timidly through the doorway of the old southern manor house. There was a call from within. Put out this light, Mandy, were the words of the weak voice. Hurry, Mandy. Maybe it's the Markhams coming back. Yes, Colonel. Yes, sir. She obediently retreated, and the dim light within was suddenly extinguished. The two riders turned in from the thoroughfare, speeding past the half-swung gate up the drive toward the broad portico. The foremost slid from his saddle before his horse had come to a stop. Hold her, Rusty and then he leaped up the steps to dash into the dark entry. Who is it? Stop! There was no weakness of spirit in the tremulous tones from the room within. Dad, Dad, I've come. Oh, my boy, you're just in time. And the speech ended in a sigh which sent a thrill of horror through the newcomer. Just in time. Lord be praised, Marcia Warren, sobbed the negress as she sank to her knees before the table, where she fumbled with the lamp. Light the lamp. Why, it's Mandy. And the young man ran a nervous hand across his forehead as the wick caught the flame. 
Dad, what's the trouble? Where's Mother? Why were the lights all out? In the corner of the room, on an antique settle, was stretched the form of old Colonel Jarvis of Meadow Green. It's the end, Warren. I stood off Yankee charges and artillery, but a sneaking hound from the hills has put the finish on it all and sent it in a bullet through my back without giving me the chance to fight back as the Yanks did. Warren Jarvis dropped to his knees beside his father. His pleasant, youthful face was drawn to mummy-like waneness. His eyes glowed with curious intensity as they devoured the beloved features of the old man. The rays from the oil lamp cast a melancholy glow over the furniture of a bygone society. In this characteristic parlor of an old southern mansion, but their effect upon the ghastly features of Colonel Henderson Jarvis presaged only too well the tragedy which was to come. The aged man raised a weak arm to encircle the shoulders of his son. His eyes closed in exhaustion, and for a full moment the lips moved without the emanation of a word. Warren Jarvis turned toward the panic-stricken Mandy. Quick! What is the trouble? Where is Mother? Speak up, Mandy. I've come all the way from New York in answer to Father's telegram. What's the trouble? Mandy became more disconsolate, and with the hysterical sorrow of a southern family servant, the more incapable of expression. Warren! Warren, my boy! were the words which at last came from the white lips of his father. I am going to leave you soon. I kept up until you arrived, for I must give the honor of the family into your keeping before it is all over. Are you prepared to take it up where I stand now? The young man nodded. He beckoned to the servant woman, with an eloquent pantomimic command, to bring his sire a drink. The girl silently obeyed, leaving the room for the moment. Father? I've come back from the East to do anything, everything. Tell me, what happened, and where's Mother? I am frantic. His shoulders shook as though from a chill. His face was close to his father's as the colonel's gray eyes opened upon him. Your mother passed away last night. It was too much for her poor, weak, aching heart, Warren. And his voice sank again to a whisper as he added, your first duty will be to lay us away together, and then to avenge this double murder. Warren Jarvis lost his worldly wise self-control, acquired through the adventurous years since he had journeyed forth from the quaint old Kentucky home. A sob broke from his lips, and his face sank on the arm of the old aristocrat. He was instinctively boyish in his grief, returning once more to the shelter of that paternal shoulder. Mandy had returned with a glass of stimulant, which she held to the colonel's lips. The draught refreshed him immensely. He gently patted the shoulders of his son, and continued with firmer tones. There, Warren boy, pull yourself together. The doctor will be along in his buggy soon. He dressed my wound two days ago, and 
he sat with your dear mother ever since she received the shock of the shooting i sent the marlow girls back to their house just an hour ago to rest because they were worn out every one has been good and tried to help but it is no use leave us alone mandy the woman stepped unsteadily through the door her hands covering her twitching face there she bumped into a fat coal-black darky he who had accompanied the son on the long ride she drew him into the shelter of the corridor leaving father and son together for the final confidences but father it was all so sudden are you comfortable now where is your wound warren rose more upright on his knees he now observed the swathings about the elder's breast beneath the crumpled soft shirt he caressed the shattered frame with affectionate simplicity i must speak quickly warren for although i suffer no more pain dr grayson told me the truth my strength is going every hour your mother had been in poor health and i had ridden down to the village to see the doctor for a tonic for her on the way out again i passed henley's pool room where the cheap gamblers are still running their crooked betting on the louisville and lexington races jim markham crossed from the front of the saloon and i had to rein in quickly to keep from running him down he looked up at me with his hand on his hip trying the same old trick on me that you did with my brother ed he called i had nothing to say to jim markham you know warren that old feud was over these thirty years as far as i was concerned i looked him in the eye and he dropped his gaze like a wolf which daren't stare back at you then i rode on as i turned the corner past the little church i heard a shot and tumbled forward in the saddle warren's hands clenched until the nails cut his palms the cowardly hound he muttered just as my father was shot by markham's father right after the war in the back warren the horse knew enough to stop and i rolled down to the ground dr grayson ran down the street carried me into the church vestibule and dressed my back they wanted to keep me in the parson's house but i told them to bring me on home for i wanted to be near your mother it was a mistake a grave mistake for when they brought me back in the doctor's buggy and called her to the portico she fainted and never regained consciousness that's all warren the end came last night for her tonight i will join her he opened his eyes with ghastly intensity of expression then to the surprise of the younger man he half raised himself on his elbow warren and the tones were almost shrill you must get jim markham if it's the last act of your life he broke the feud law when he killed a woman as he did with the death of your mother 
my dying command is that you end this old fight between our families he is the last of his line and you the last of yours the feud began nearly eighty years ago it is a different world then in that old kentucky i have tried to live upright god-fearing and had supposed that time would efface the old hatred at least i ignored it but jim markham never forgot that your uncle warren had killed his father in that stand-up battle in the old tobacco warehouse it is the curse of the blue-grass state this feud law but you must carry out the vengeance warren when you scotch that snake there will be no more didn't they try to get markham dad asked warren slowly trying to realize it all no he disappeared helped by some of those touts and gamblers they say he has gone to the mountains but you follow him after after i he sank back again, groaning. God bless you, boy. When you end this bitter debt, you will have done everything in the world I ever wanted. What a fine son you have been through all the years. Warren rose to his feet, and with hands clasped tensely behind him, walked to the window. He heard a sound of buggy wheels and the trotting of a horse. It neared the house. It must be the doctor, Dad. I'm glad he is here again. He turned about to look at the clear-cut face. He was horror-stricken. The eyes were closed. The hand had dropped limply, and already the fine, firm mouth had opened weakly, with a piteous weakness. He rushed forward, dropping again by the side of the couch. A step behind him did not interrupt the soft pleadings of the tearful voice. Dad, Dad, won't you speak to me? You must hold out. The doctor has come. Dad, old daddy mine, speak, speak. The eyes opened, but there was no expression in them. The mouth closed convulsively, and as he leaned close, he heard the last message. God bless you, boy. Take care of yourself. Warren's face was buried on the bosom as it ceased to breathe. A kindly touch on his shoulder brought him to a knowledge of the doctor's presence. It's so good that you arrived in time, Warren, was the soft-voiced comment. Your father passed away happy, I know. He had held himself to this life by a marvelous willpower until you came. Steady yourself now. The doctor knelt by the couch, and with the manly tenderness of an old family friend, crossed the tired patrician hands above that valiant heart. Warren Jarvis answered not. He walked toward the window again. He peered out into the great, black, miserable, lonely void, stretching away toward the southeast. 
in those distant hills beyond his vision, but familiar as the landmarks of his boyhood, he knew the cowardly assassin of his parents was exulting over the cruel success. Not a tear came to his relief. His pleasant face hardened to the rigidity of a stone image. The sinews of his athletic frame thrilled with a new emotion. The feud, hatred, inherited through generations of Kentucky fighters. He would have gladly given his own life for the sublime pleasure of throttling with his bare hands the scoundrel who had wiped out all that was fine and sweet in his life. Behind him, the doctor gave whispered orders to Mandy and two tearful woman neighbors, who had quietly slipped into the house. Warren did not notice them in his abstraction. They respected his suffering by leaving the room without a greeting. As he stood there, the soft spring breeze fluttered the curtains of the broad parlor windows, bearing in the fragrance of the vines on the portico outside. It was all so silent and different from the brilliant social life he had left behind in New York. Warren's whole life seemed to flit past him as he stood there now, with the impersonality of a kaleidoscope. He remembered the early years on this beautiful bluegrass estate of his father's, the romantic boyhood of the South, enlivened by horseback rides, hunting trips, boating, fishing those elemental country sports so sadly lacking in the life of the city youth the faithful admiring negro servants to whom young marser warren had been a veritable sir galahad the flower of the neighborhood chivalry indeed in this portion of the states still glows the tradition of the ancient knighthood the gallantry to women the reverence for family honor the bravery of men, the loyalty to neighborhood, commonwealth, and nation. In verity, the spirit of ideal citizenship. Warren saw once more the gentle face of his mother as she worked in her old-fashioned garden of rosemary, hollyhocks, larkspur, iris, rue heard the soft dialect of quaint old ladies gossiping on the broad, shaded portico listened again to the laughter of neighboring judges colonels majors his father's old cronies as they good-naturedly wrangled and bantered over the battles of the war the merits of their respective thoroughbreds or the correct manner in which to concoct that nectarian classic of the southland the mint julep to warren's retrospection came the vision of his departure for the famous college in the east the joyful vacation times, and finally his decision to seek adventure, far, far to the south, in Brazil, Guatemala, Panama, where he had developed his own executive caliber as a commander of men in the great construction work on the big ditch. Then came the sorrowful day when he had returned from his travels to behold the ravages of time on his mother's aging face and his father's stooping shoulders. Even the servants were changed, and it had been to keep a closer bond with the dear old estate that he had taken faithful Rusty Snow as his manservant when he went on to New York again to pursue his profession. 
Warren's mind burrowed in the memories of the feudism of the countryside, the sole blot on its simple yet aristocratic modes. He remembered the fragmentary stories of the ancient Markham-Jarvis quarrel. This had cost the lives of men for three generations, and an equity of vengeful settlement based strictly on the mosaic law of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. The Markham family fortunes had been dissipated, those of the Jarvis clan ascending, yet still the feud continued, until the men of both families had paid for the bitterness with their lives. Now his father had been the last Jarvis to go, after a lull for many years. The sweetness of the old memories was swept by the maelstrom of hate which surged through his heart. As a boy, he hardly knew the meaning of the word, the grim looks of the kinsman, the tear-stained face of his mother, had been little explanation. Little had been said. But now, the iron of vengeance had entered his soul, and he turned about suddenly, facing the body of the colonel. Advancing toward the settle, he knelt by the body, even as a knight of old to take his vows. He raised his clenched right hand. Father, I swear by my love for you and my mother that I will wipe out the Markhams, cost what it may. I will devote my life to settling the score Jim Markham has made. I swear it to you, Father. It seemed to him as though a faint smile of approbation flitted across the face despite the seal of the great calm. Even as he knelt there, his quick brain began to lay the plans, and then, then he remembered what he must see upstairs. His brief moments in the old house had been so absorbed by the dying words of his sire, by the engulfing flame of hate which had burned away all the sweetness of the environment, that he had selfishly forgotten everything but his own grief. He staggered to his feet and walked slowly from the room. Outside the door, on an old-fashioned chair in the long corridor running from portico to kitchen, he found faithful Rusty, sobbing with his face in his hands. Oh, Master Warren! Oh, Master Warren! Rusty, call Mandy, was the simple answer. Rusty hastened to obey. The woman was assisting the two neighbors in some preparations on the floor above. She came down the stairs tremulously, catching his outstretched hand and kissing it impetuously. Where is she, Mandy? he asked in a stifled voice. Mandy spoke not, but ascended the stairway, as Warren followed with bowed head. Each broad step seemed steeper than the one below. At last he raised his eyes before the doorway of his parents' bedroom. Mandy stepped aside. Within, on a little mahogany sewing-table, burned a dozen candles in his great-grandmother's colonial candelabra. He turned unsteadily to the right and saw her. Oh, mother! Mother! 
that was all. End of chapter 1